My sons, be attentive to my words, incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. For they are life, can you say, are life? Can you say it louder than that? For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and gaze your forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's you by your power that keeps us. It's your power through faith that keeps our heart with all vigilance, Father God. We thank you that now we do have something to offer the world from, for from our hearts flow springs of life. As Jesus says, a river of living water will flow out of our innermost parts of our being. We thank you that we're born again, Lord God. We thank you that you have given us hope. You have given us purpose. You have given us the ability to be used by you to open up the eyes of the spiritually dead. We bless you, Father God. Come, Lord God, and breathe upon this text, Father God. Open up our eyes and illuminate our minds, Father God, that we can feast on the living word of God. Let the word, let the sermon sing deep within our souls today, Father God, as it does what it promises to do, and that is to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless God. As we've been going through Proverbs uh, over the last month, there's been a proverb that's always meant a lot to me, and that's Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart with all vigilance or with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. I want to speak about guarding our hearts and what that means from an Old Testament perspective and a New Testament perspective. Uh, not to get into a long introduction to the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs is about integrity. If we had to put one word, highlight it with one word, it is about integrity integrity in the heart, known as God's wisdom. It's about living for God. Can we possibly live for God and not integrity be part of our life? Is that possible? Does it go together? I mean, can we reconcile a life lived for God and, and a lack of integrity, a lack of honesty? No, of course not. Jesus says, I'm the truth, the life, and the way. He says that Satan is the father of all lies, and he said the Pharisees were their children. <laughs> That's the goal and aim of Proverbs. It's to impart this godly wisdom. It's summed up in the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of all wisdom. A life spent on pleasing God. And all the small, minor details of our life. That God really wants to be up and operating in our life. Because when He is, our future, you'll find out, is very secure. How many people want to be in a good place in a year from now? Amen. Spiritually, physically, financially. I don't know what it might be. How about 10 years from now? Can I tell you on God's word that God's more concerned about where you're going to be in 10 years than you do? Can I tell you that God's more concerned about where you're going to spend eternity than you do? 
He truly is concerned for our life. Every jot and tittle he's concerned about. Uh, This is what the Father says. Let me sum this up a little bit. Son, know the goal for your life as God created it. Then work that goal out in the details of your personal life, son. Whether you're a doctor, a teacher, a rabbi, a mother, father, pastor, policeman, fireman, construction worker, maybe you're unemployed, son, maybe you're retired, son or daughter, maybe you're a student, son or daughter. Live for the glory of God. And when you do, you will always know success in the heart. You'll know joy and happiness. You'll know contentment. And you'll always have hope, son. And others will recognize your moral reputation, your integrity, your kindness, and your goodness. That you are zealous for good deeds, as though God himself prepared these good works for you before all of eternity. Like God himself has ordained every one of your footsteps in life, son. Live to the glory of God. great goal of Proverbs is godliness. Can you say godliness? Godliness. No question. It is godliness. It is being like God in all the small details of our life, all the interpersonal relationships of our life, how we deal with our neighbor, how we deal with our family, how we deal with, with our finances, how we deal with our health, how we deal with work ethic. Everything goes towards living for the Lord, to honor God in all the details of our life. Jesus lived by these proverbs. Understand something. Jesus lived it for him and for us. Because no man can live perfectly the details that are found in proverbs. Christ did it. And uh, he did it because he had the true fear of the Lord was upon him as the prophet Isaiah teaches us. And that he is now... uh, producing this in our life through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is producing this godliness, this sanctifying work, this desire, these affections to please God, this healthy fear and awe of Almighty God that He is Creator, He is Redeemer, He is the first cause, and all our efforts in life should go to glorify Him, even in the details. But this is my concern when it comes to any Old Testament exhortation on how to live. There is a concern. And my concern is that Proverbs or any Old Testament text that teaches somebody how to live does not speak or shout down the gospel. Don't forget that. Because we've received the grace of regeneration. We're born again, we're new creations. God has given us his very life inside of us. It's something the Old Testament saint did not have. We don't have, uh, son, know my teachings, but we do have, be led by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There is a great limitation to any Old Testament text. I, we just can't open it up and say, all right, Christian man in the 21st century, we're going to expound on the book of Proverbs and we're not speaking to Jews that lived under the old covenant 3,000 years ago. Something great has happened. Christ has come and we live in the age of the Spirit, in the age of grace. The Holy Spirit is producing something in us. 
the quintessential New Testament text, I believe, at least one of them, there are probably many of them, is Titus 2, 11 to 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training or teaching us the Holy Spirit. Grace is teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and is training and teaching us to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, now that grace is in the heart, that's the Spirit applying truth, the Spirit is applying New Testament truth, uh, week in and week out, every time you come and hear a sermon, every Bible study, every uh, personal devotion you do to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is producing grace within us, strength within us, He's given us understanding between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And it's through this that he strengthens and sanctifies our lives. And in this way, we live out the book of Proverbs. We might not even realize it because we desire to honor God. Uh, That's what it means to be a Christian. I don't know if you know that yet. Do you know that? To be a Christian is God has put a love for himself in us. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Didn't God demonstrate his love when he poured out his spirit into our hearts? As Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 5. How to please God in this sinful world. It's the pleasing of God that protects our hearts. Did you know that? When I'm out in the middle of the street, and I, 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 even if I can quote the whole book of Proverbs, I can't. I can quote quite a few of them. Uh, when it gets tough out there, what really gets me going is that behind every quotation, behind every scripture, behind every sermon, behind every memorization, is that a desire to please God. That's what keeps us pure. That's what God's our heart. A desire to please God. That's what does it. And as we live a life that's pleasing to God, that protects our heart, I'm protecting my life tomorrow. Because I want to love God and serve God today, I'm, my tomorrow is secure. I'm not worried about my tomorrow. I'm not worried about next week. I've got nothing to hide. I'm living for the Lord. There's no little secrets you've got to worry about. There's no little secret sins that are going to tear you down a week from now, a month from now, ten years from now that are finally going to show up and, and ruin your life. When you're living and pleasing God, you don't have to worry about what, you know, what's going to happen in ten years from now. Because when you live to please the Lord... Your future is secured. God is a shield to those who walk in integrity, Proverbs says. But even though the Old Testament has some limitations to it for the New Testament saying, it's still God's word, it's still timeless, and it's still applicable for our lives in the 21st century today as we're led by the Spirit. We're going to look at this text today. Uh, so uh, let's take it verse by verse with some applications. We'll start in the, in the 20th verse. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. One thing we have to recognize is that these parental exhortations to live God's way is, is always from the lesser to the greater. It's always somebody who's already lived it. Someone's living under the covenant. And that's what the father is doing here. This is what the father is saying. The father is passing on moral 
character. The parent is passing on integrity. As we said over months now, that integrity is a learned virtue. School's not going to teach you. You learn integrity at home. By word and by watching. You watch it. And the father's saying, son, just as you bear my genetic resemblance, and you look more like your mother than me, but you have her nose and her eyes, you have my lips, and, uh, and so on and so forth, I want you to bear the inner quality of integrity that I learned from my father. And he learned it from his father. Because he learned it from Moses and the teaching of Moses in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We're God's people, son. And we pass down integrity through the word of God's son. I want you to look. I want you to know the sweetness of this inner quality of integrity and the fear of the Lord, son. That's what's taking place here. And I don't want to miss that. Because we can really think that, or we've been saying it, if, if we don't teach children, who's going to teach them? The world is willing, ready and able to teach our children anything. We come out of the world, I don't know when you got saved, I was 30 years old when I got saved, and God had a lot of washing to do. The Bible calls it a renewing of what? To renew our mind. We need to be living sacrifices to be transformed, but not to conform to this world. And we see something in here that the parent has the child's moral future in view. And to secure the future, something has to be living in their heart now. I believe, really, this is a lost art. I think many people truly don't concern themselves with integrity. And I'll get, that, I'll get into that a little later into the, into the sermon. In the spiritual sense, pastors take this role on. Church leaders take this role on. When people are newly converted, they, they start to hear it as almost a parental exhortation, as, as a father or mother speaking to the children. Paul says that. Paul used the metaphor, metaphor many times. I was a father to you, or, or even I was a mother to you. I mothered you. I fathered you. You might have many teachers, Paul says, but you only have one father in the gospel. That's me. So many times a teacher, someone who led us to Christ, will take on that spiritual responsibility to say, now follow me as I follow Christ. It is a hard responsibility and accountability to lead people to Christ. People are watching. It still goes on today. Teaching integrity. Showing integrity. Passing on integrity is so important to a Christian. We should be influencing people. All of us should pass this on. We should make it our life to spend quality time with the people in our life. Quality time with our parents, to spend quality time with our children, to spend that necessary time looking them in the eye and loving them and teaching them. It's not about a long warning, and the text gives us some great uh, insight on how to teach children, how to teach even uh, uh, the congregation how to live for the Lord. How do you guard your heart? He goes on to say in verse 21, let these teachings not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Moral teaching is, and he's teaching this, to be memorized. 
Memorization used to be some. When I first got saved, I, I did everything I can to memorize as much scripture as I possibly could. Memorization is wonderful for uh, a spiritual recall and, and to direct our lives to understand what the will of God is. Even though we're led by the Spirit, this is not a magic carpet ride. The Holy Spirit uses teaching and, and good teaching to expound on truth and drive the point home, whether we use illustrations or metaphors. It makes no difference to drive the truth home so that we can recall it, that we can uh, uh, remember it in times of trial and tribulations. A, a sermon should be so convicting at times that we can draw upon it many, many, many years later. We should be able to draw upon that sermon. But memorization is good. It's through memorization that a child can internalize it. To memorize something is only part of the equation, but to internalize it, make it your own. I remember training as a martial artist, and my teacher told me it's after 10 or 20,000 times when you throw that same technique, you begin to own it. Then you can use it in, 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 in sparring, and you have to use it. Oh, and then one day you own it. And I understood that, that, that illustration. Uh, I understood it very well. I taught it to my own students later on in life. And it's the same thing spiritually. You have to go through it and memorize it. Then when you start to use it, it becomes real to you. And understand something, applying all scripture truth. Many of us fail long before we succeed in our life of sanctification. Let's be real. Nobody comes out of the spiritual womb loving everybody perfectly. We just don't do that. We learn. We learn through mistakes. God is so patient, so long-suffering with us. But we should memorize. Memorization is a great part. And here's something to understand. The child here that's memorizing and doing and internalizing the, the lesson, whether it's a, a child 3,000 years ago uh, or even today, a, a child today, they are the trusted parents that what they are saying is best for them. You know, that's the beginning of personal faith in God. Did you ever know that? The beginning of personal faith for a six-year-old or an eight-year-old, they can't see God. Their mind doesn't comprehend the depth of God. But if they respect their parents, the fifth commandment, honor you, your mother and father, understand so When they can respect what mom and dad are saying, even though they have no experience, they have no reference, and their mom is saying, don't do this, dad is saying, this is what's best for you, and out of respect for the parents, out of faith and trust in who they are in their life, they start to obey. That is the beginning of a faith walk. Until eventually they come to faith in God themselves. And they can trust God themselves. You show me a, a child that's grown up faithful to their parents and listen to their parents. And I'm not saying children would be perfect. I think you understand what I mean. When you start talking about things that they can't comprehend yet, but they're going to take it on face value that mom and dad is loving me and they're teaching me something good and I'm going to obey that out of respect, that's the same dynamic that you use when you're saved. Young Christians, when they're saved, they're going to, they're going to take it for face value what the Word of God says as Brother Patty was doing in his exhortation. The Word of God points us in many directions. We can't comprehend it. 
But yet the word of God says it. So what do we do? Out of respect for our Heavenly Father, what do we do? We do it. And God always has our best interest in His heart. And we start living a new life, a new dynamic. And we even have to say, you know, this is right. The word of God is true. It's tested in the fire seven times. The word of God never fails. I'm living by the word of God 24 years now. Guess what? It doesn't, it hasn't, it will, and it cannot fail your life. So we as Christians, as a child 3,000 years ago, living under Proverbs, or 2,000 years ago as Christ did, are to trust God's word even when it doesn't feel right or comfortable. When you're reading a lot of the Proverbs, you'll realize it doesn't look so bad. Sin usually doesn't look all that bad, does it? But doesn't it take us further than we want to go? Doesn't it cost much more than we ever thought we'd have to pay? Of course. For many new converts, living for God and honoring Him is a brand new way of life. And we just got to take it at face value. That's why it's important as Christians and Christian leaders that we just don't uh, speak to people about the truth. We have to exemplify the truth. You know that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees over this very issue I'm talking to you now about. Do you remember what He said? The Pharisees have seated themselves in the place of Moses. He says, do what they say, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they preach. How important it is for us to live this out as we teach it. We have to be examples of it all the time. In this way, you draw respect. In this way, it helps people to live by the word of God. And that's what these children are learning 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, is to live by the word of God. He goes on to say to his child, Son, for they are life, in verse 22, to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. What we have here is positive reinforcement of what was just said. Reminding the child of the long-lasting effects of these teachings will have in one's life. Remember, when you're teaching morals, when you're teaching what's best, usually people don't have a, a great reference. A child doesn't have a reference of what the father is saying, what the mother is saying. They have to take in the face out of that mom and dad have my best interest in their heart. And they have to hide those and take them because that is where life is found. This is what he could say it in another way. There is no such thing as life without themselves. Your life and destiny, your future are bound up in the words I'm telling you at such a young and tender age. Why is that? If we took a snapshot out of our own life, how many troubles have we had in life that really started when we were young? The seeds of destruction are sown young. Disobedience, disrespect, someone very young. It might not have its manifestations until someone's much older. But many of these things started a very, very young life. And there is no life without them. It's all counterfeit. Unless we're living by the word of God, it's, it's all counterfeit. What he can say is, for son, there are other ways 
that seem right to men. But in the end, some, they just lead to death. They lead to destruction. It's a slow bleed, son. You don't see destruction coming. It's like a thief in the night. Doesn't our Lord teach us that if you're going to build a house, to build it on the sand? Doesn't he say that? Build it on the rock. Because the storms of life will come and test the faith and character of everybody. And they come. They can come many, many years later, but they come. God will make sure So whether we're building our house on the teachings of Christ or the Old Testament is building his house on the teachings of Moses, the storms will test the purity of every man's faith. How important that is to know. The unfortunate part is for many, it'll be too late. When the great storm comes, as Jesus says, that day is going to be like the days of Noah. They're going to be eating and drinking, marrying and marrying, and buying and selling. And then the storms came. And they kept coming. And then they understood that Noah was righteous. But yet, it was too late. He goes on to say to his son in verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart was the seat of desire. It was the seat of their emotions, their affections, their will, their mind, their conscience. That was the heart in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. This was seen as the most important aspect of a person's life, was the heart. For from it flow the issues of life. It was the inner personality. It was the inner faculty that determined the course of one's life, the direction one would walk in. And the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, doesn't give ten different directions to walk in. Well, let me sum up the way Jesus says. You are either, what, for me? Or you are against me. He says another way. You cannot serve God or mammon. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. There's no these several different ways. The world gives you many different ways, as we just said, as we quoted Proverbs, but at the end, they all lead to death. This is the driving force, the human heart, that part, that faculty that God has given us, those affections. What are we going to love? That will determine where we go. Jesus sums it up neatly when he says, where a man's treasure is, there is also his what? Men will go after what they love the most. That's what Christ is saying. See what someone loves the most, what they spend their time on, what they spend their energy on, what they spend their money on, what they care about, what they talk about, what they run after you. That's what's in their heart. That's what it is. Watch your heart with all diligence. Watch this... God-given faculty that determines are we going to serve God or are we going to serve man? Are we going to serve God or money? God or self? God or, or the spirit of this world? God or Satan? 
It's the driving force that directs our affections. God is not concerned about our children not smoking pot. God is not concerned about our children not drinking and getting drunk. God is not concerned about our children whether they're having premarital sex. God is concerned where are the affections because he who owns the affection owns the heart and directs the person. That's what happens. Some to miss it here. On the beginning of your life journey is to embark in the wrong direction. And to bring all sorts of evils and with all their pains that for many years lie dormant but the consequences are sure to come some. It's that place that a child needs to God to set a sentiment over to protect it, to protect that sense of life-directing power as to secure a successful life. Children that are 8 and 10 and 12 and 16 are not thinking about 30 years old. They're not thinking about 40 years old. They're not thinking about grandchildren. They're not thinking about laying up and storing up an inheritance. They're not overly concerned about where they're going to be next year. But it's our job teach it, to encourage it, and to remind them that if it's not living in your heart, destruction will come one way or another. But our job is to secure a successful future with all its joys that come from a life that pleases God. And not led by the flesh. The affections. It's everything. All New Testament religion. And of course the Old Testament for us. It is about God giving us what? A new heart. That's what it means to be born again. God has given us a new heart. I could never live the Christian life without God doing a work of grace in our hearts. It's absolutely impossible. But yet John says that his commandments are not burdens. Because we love God because he first loved us. An interesting point here what the father is doing. He's not just saying don't touch, don't taste, don't go, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, etc., etc., etc. But he's saying protect this central nervous system of the spiritual kind with wisdom. Hide his word in your heart. Verse 20. Son, hide my words in your heart. Fight from this stance. Don't try to control the culture. Don't try to control others. Don't try to control what the government can do and what the government can't do. Let me tell you now, 
Anti-Christian forces are everywhere and they're abounding against the Christian church. Don't try to say, don't do, don't go to... Teach them the love of God. That is how you protect our future. That is how you protect our life. That is how you protect integrity. Teach them Christ. We spend just too much time on just the negative aspect of exhortations. And, that, and, that, and, that, and that's fine to tell them, be careful, don't do this. You know, but, but teach them more, just as much, how awesome God is. When God owns the affections, you can go anywhere. I can walk anywhere. I can talk to anybody. No matter how steeped in sin they are, as Jude says, just be careful not to be contaminated with their filth. He says that. But when you're so filled with the affection and love for God, you can speak to any and all, no matter how deep in sin they are, with a genuine love and a genuine concern. Always on our guard, at least we be tempted also. We need to really instill in people a proper understanding of God. And let them be led by the Holy Spirit. Let's not chase them down. Let's not beat them up. Let's trust in the Lord. Just as this parent is doing all these years ago. Son, take the word, hide it in your heart. One day you're going to be living on your own. One day you're going to have your own family. One day you're going to have your own business. One day you're going to have to take care of yourself. One day you're going to have mouth to feed. Take these, hide them in your heart, and you'll do fine. God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Solomon now uses three metaphors to help distinguish what it is to protect the heart. I want you to listen to this. He uses the speech, the eyes, and the feet. These metaphors are, and these illustrations are very uh, familiar in Proverbs. They're always there. As a matter of fact, uh, the theme is constant throughout the 31 chapters of Proverbs. And each time it adds a little more depth to the time before. So it's interesting. Let, let, let's go into verse 24. It says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. You see, you have to understand something that truth is a bedrock to society. It's, it's a, a bedrock to friendships. It's a bedrock to marriages and family and business and religion. All need to be characterized by truth. Jesus sums it up this way in a very concise way. Out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The Bible doesn't characterize people as people who have lied. You know how it characterizes people? You're either righteous or you're a liar. It doesn't say you're a righteous person that lies. And that's what Proverbs does here. And it's important because it's, it's basic characteristic of nature. Listen, lying undermines integrity. It opens us up to all sorts of other temptations. It, 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 it undermines resolve. Our society misses the impact of what 
lying has really done today. To understand the depth of lying and falsehood, we have to go into the Old Testament to really see. And, and Jesus gives us a lot of insight, and the New Testament gives us a lot of insight. But I've been speaking about this o- o- over the weeks. To lie in the ancient times was to ruin your reputation. Your reputation was everything 3,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, you had no reputation. You did not eat. Your reputation, your good name was your resume. It was collateral. It was your bread and butter. It was your livelihood. If you lied and the word got around that you were a liar, that you were untrustworthy, you ruined your life. You were not guarding your heart. Your future was ruined. Once it got out, that's why it's so careful in the Old Testament to to confirm if someone's bringing a word against an elder, it had to be confirmed by two or three witnesses because if this gets out, you slander somebody, you ruin a reputation, you've ruined a life. But today we live in a society where you can just lie and get reelected. You can lie and re-lie and re-lie. It's amazing. I see people get up in their, their campaign and I'm saying, this is, this is what a world we live in. To actually think they got a chance. And they do. Because there's no integrity. There's no value on integrity today whatsoever. People can lie, lie, lie and still prosper in this world. Man's way. But understand something. Lying will find you out. God is watching what comes out. Jesus teaches us what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth will be judged. Every word. Every intention and every thought is going to be judged. Praise God for grace. Praise God. If I was to say truth, what would you, what was the first word that would come to your mind? What's the opposite of truth? Alright. You know, but it's not. Lying is not the opposite of truth. Lying is a violent aggressor against truth. Lying is violence against truth. So to guard our heart, one must be an honest human being who walks in nothing but the greatest of integrity. That's how we watch our heart. That's why God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Lies eventually catch up to people and ruin their life. As Christians, we have to speak the truth in love. We have to be a people that are known with prudence in the way we speak and what we say. He says in verse 25, let your eyes, he moves from, from, the, from the mouth to the eyes, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. It's easy to understand this verse if we look at uh, Psalm 73. Listen to Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps have nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I looked and saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
You see, if we're going to guard our hearts, if we're going to live in integrity, if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to the God, if we're going to live by the fear of the Lord, we've got to keep our eyes off of what the world is doing and how the world is prospering and how everybody else thinks they're getting away with something. We cannot build our Christian life and our integrity up and our character up by looking how everybody else is doing it. That's what Aesop did in Psalm 73. People will lie, cheat, say half-truths, scheme, speak about other people, uh, uh, other co-workers to build themselves up, and it could work. I can tell you right now, you might not get a promotion because someone lied about you. But you don't get the promotion by lying back. You sit back and you wait on God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You wait on God. We need to keep our eyes off of the way the world does it, the way the world seems to prosper. Uh, it reminds me of an old example of uh, Lot. Remember Lot? Abraham said to Lot, listen, you know, your herds are growing, my herds are growing, and uh, you know something, we gotta, we got to depart. So Abraham looks at Lot and says, you know, you pick and choose where you want to go. So where does Lot look? His eyes were lifted up, and he saw the plains of the Jordan as, as the Garden of Eden. And he went. And then he camped next to Sodom. And the rest is history. We have to watch how we see other people. Prosperity with God is contentment. That's true success. He says in verse 26, Ponder the path of your feet, then you will always be sure. Your ways will be sure. This may sound redundant, but but they're not. Verse 25 says, verse 25 speaks of a clear-cut decision to follow wisdom and to recognize that the wicked do not prosper in the end. Verse 26 wisely, wisely exhorts a daily evaluation of one's actions, thoughts, and words. What direction are our actions pointing us to? Yeah, we, I want to be like God. I want to be Christ-like. I want to have uh, the fear of the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. But you know something? I have to have a daily evaluation of my life. I can have that goal in my mind. I can have that goal in my heart. But what does my daily walk tell me about this? I need to ponder the path on a daily basis. Only the scriptures uh, is our moral compass. <clears throat> to have a sure end in mind is pleasing God is one thing, but to work it out on a daily life and consistent life is quite another. We need to really take a look on a daily basis. Is my life going in the direction God wants it to? He says in verse 27, do not swerve to the right or left. Turn your foot far from evil. Swerve carries a hint of a deliberate outstretching, a deliberate breaking over bounds to reach on something. The Father gives this last reminder as a way of saying, you know, son, it's a picture of the spiritual life as walking on a cliff. There's just no room for mistakes. There's just no room. The psalmist already showed us that in Psalm 73. There is just no room. You cannot swerve. You can't go out of bounds. You go there for a moment, your foot could almost slip. It only takes one moment. It could be that one thing. Your, your God is down in this world and boom, you can ruin your life. Well, as we close, there's strong metaphors usually to employ to shock the senses into moral living. 
Jesus uses it all the time. Cut out the eye, cut off the arm, build your house on sand, so on and so forth. The Sermon on the Mount, they're full of metaphors like this we find in Proverbs. But how we apply this teaching from Proverbs and uh, it's quite a different thing. Let me name three things. Remember something about Proverbs. There's something walking side by side with the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Do you know what it was? Side by side. It was the daily sacrifice of the Lamb. Morning and evening sacrifice. You can't live it. You're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. They blew it. But the sacrifice was a daily reminder that God's mercies are new every morning. That God's mercy is new every day. They lived under the same temptations. You were living under the same temptations. They lived under the same failures. I live under the same failures. You live under the same failures. We swerve all the time. That's why they have to go each day the way I have to go to Christ and say, Jesus, wash my feet. I'm swerving all over the place. Direct my mind, direct my eyes to be fixed on you because my eyes are looking everywhere but to you this week. Am I right or wrong? Today is coming back and being recalibrated, not to swerve, to be recalibrated to come back to Christ, to keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith because no matter how wonderful and clear the book of Proverbs teaches us, we're still mortal, we're still weak. He knows our frame, he knows we're just but dust. He has to wash our sins. I'm not even going to go on to the rest. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that your word is timeless, Lord God. We thank you for the spotless Lamb of God, the once and for all sacrifice, God, that recalibrates our day moment by moment. God, our hearts are prone to swerving. Our eyes are prone to thinking it's greener on the other side. Our heart at times can speak wickedness and deceitful words and half-truths to try to elevate ourselves, Father God. We try to build our own integrity on lies, Father God. Our character, Father God, can be all over the map. Do a fresh new work as we guard, not our hearts now, God, but we guard these new born-again hearts you have given us, this heart of affection for you. Let our heart never grow cold, Father God. Let our love towards you never grow cold, Father God. Let us guard this wonderful, wonderful deposit you have given us within us, Father God. These new affections for you that you have given us, Father God, let us genuinely, genuinely guard them and never get lukewarm, Father God. And Father, if we do, would you be merciful to us and stir us up by way of reminder 